Where is she? Give her some more card to see. Yeah. <laughs> yep. This is Shafali, and you're listening to the Peds Admit Podcast. So, Alice, today we're going to pick up where we left off, and that was talking to Dr. Deborah Gear. Um, today, we're just going to dive into the disorders of amino acid metabolism specifically, and this is going to be a pretty rich discussion. So, without further ado, here's Dr. Gear. What about acute tyrosinemia? Ooh, you're thinking of hepatorenal tyrosinemia. Do you know why I know you're thinking that one? Because they're the ones you don't care about. (laughs) (laughs) So there's actually three types of tyrosinemia. Uh One causes some eye stuff that only an old person ophthalmologist will find. Uh One causes mild illness that only a geneticist would ever care about. But the type you care about actually leads to accumulation of something called succinyl acetone. Succinyl acetone is evil. What it does is it goes to the liver and causes liver destruction. So it can cause very early liver failure and damage. And over time, it can lead to liver adenomas. So these are kids that in the first one to two weeks of life will present in liver failure. So you'll hear the story of, oh, they had really high bilirubin, but then we treated it, but then they came in looking yellow, and they had really high AST and ALTs, and when you were drawing the blood, you couldn't get the blood to stop, and it kept dripping and dripping for hours and hours. And if I hear this story, first of all, I'm like, can you please get some of that dripping and send me a plasma amino acid? Mm -hmm. So if you ever have a kid that's over dripping, consider a plasma amino acid. It can drip into the tube. It's great. Yeah. Right? <laughs> they have, they're bleeding. You're like, they're bleeding anyway. Go ahead and get me the plasma amino acids. There. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, if you're thinking they have like some kind of factor deficiency, you should also be thinking this, especially if they have any liver signs. These kind of would be the two big things on my differential in a kid where, why is every site they've been stuck still oozing? So they can have PT, PTTs, and INRs. So I always think their INRs can be threes and fours. Mm-hmm. At presentation. And this is just from liver dysfunction. It's from the liver dysfunction. And they look good. Like they're eating, they're happy, their liver is big and their spleen is big, but they're like cooing at you. And you're like, do you not realize you're sick, little baby? What is <laughs> what is your problem here? They look too good. They, okay. They're very deceiving sometimes that way. But what we do in this case is, or, or I should say, can I tell you the treatment? Because it's really, really Yeah, cool. how do we treat it? What do we, it's how do we one of my it? favorite treatments yeah. there is. We have a medication for this. Mm, okay. So if you were to ask me 20 years ago, we would go to liver transplant. Mm-hmm. And I actually... I like it was going. <laughs> we, but then we didn't. Well, we didn't. <laughs> and I'll tell you a story. So I have a patient. He's 26. He was the first person in the U.S. to get the medication. Mm-hmm. They actually went to Europe to meet a doctor and got a prescription in Europe oh, wow. for the medication. His sister had had a transplant for tyrosinemia two years earlier because she was in liver failure. He started on a medicine called NTBC. And what it does is it blocks two steps above the succinyl acetone. So the tyrosine is not the problem. It's this product called succinyl acetone. So it stops before you get to succinyl acetone. And the NTBC, if you give it anywhere from four days to about two weeks, it'll completely resolve the liver failure. It's kind of magical. Wow. It's amazing. So you can actually watch their INR fall. So you'll check their INR every few days and you can actually watch it start to fall. Their tyrosine stays up. And if anything, it goes up a little bit. 
we put them on special formula that's low in tyrosine, and we give them NTBC, and we monitor them to make sure that they aren't at a bleeding risk, and they go home. And they can be on NTBC. We have, as I said, now we have adults on NTBC for life. Yeah. So if they're getting their NTBC, are they at risk for presenting a metabolic crisis, or does that sort of stabilize So again, things? it goes back to those ideas of if they can't take their NTBC... Or if they aren't taking their NTBC, mm-hmm. let's just be honest, because you've all met adolescents. Mm-hmm. Or there's one side effect where sometimes the NTBC can cause accumulation of tyrosine that causes the eye crystals. So they'll have to we'll have to play with their doses a little bit. Mm-hmm. So sometimes during that dose changes, especially if they're really young, we'll bring them in just to watch their INR and make sure their liver stays safe while we figure that out. So, but that's more non-acute management. If you have a child coming in with tyrosinemia in an emergency situation, really what you want is you want to do a PT, PTT, INR, and a liver function. And then you want to do everything you can do to make sure we stop the vomiting, stop whatever catabolic illness is going on that's preventing them from being able to take their NTBC. All about tolerating the med in this case. Correct. There's no IV formulation for NTBC. There's only an oral med. So... Zofran is worth the risk of any other. Like, this is a kid where you're like, please Zofran them and give them that. Like, perfect. Like, and whatever it takes to get it in them. We do. Acute tyrosinemia comes in three forms. One is a mild illness. One presents primarily with ophthalmologic complaints in older people. And the third one is the one we care about, hepatorenal tyrosinemia. In this disease, succinyl acetone accumulates and ultimately causes liver destruction and liver failure early in life, such that these kids present with a significant coagulopathy. The medication NTBC stops a couple reactions prior to the succinyl acetone formation, and if you give it to a really young kid before they're like two weeks old, you might be able to save their liver. These kids often can live a long and happy life with a low tyrosine formula. They just need to keep on taking the NTBC. Because NTBC is a PO-only medication, failure to take the med PO is a really good reason for presentation. If you see them in the ED, in addition to calling genetics and everything, you can grab COAGs, a CMP, and a CBC to look for their markers of liver function. Now, let's move on to non-ketotic hyperglycemia. Um, And I just want to signpost that when you open a chart, this looks like non-ketotic hyperglycemia, which is absolutely not the case. So let's talk about the buildup of glycine. We're going to call this NKH. Is that okay if I call it NKH for now? Perfect. That's perfect. It has a couple different terms we use for it. Or we can call it glycine encephalopathy. We're starting to call it that so that people aren't so confused. Is that fair? Glycine encephalopathy is another term you're going to start seeing. Okay. What happens in this disorder is you have the buildup of glycine. To be honest with you, I don't really care about what the glycine is doing in most of your body. What I care about is that buildup of glycine in the central nervous system causes severe brain damage. So these kids will present in very early infancy with severe seizures. The way we diagnose it is we look both at CSF glycine and peripheral glycine levels and do a ratio to see what the ratio is. And that ratio, to be honest, you should look it up every time. Because if you're looking at the ratio or you're thinking, hey, this baby is a newborn with seizures, you should have a neurologist or a metabolic doctor or both involved in the process. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Absolutely. So, but on any infant that presents in seizures, this should be in your thought process. Okay. This is very, 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 very hard to treat. Mm-hmm. There are a few treatments. 
it is controversial on whether or not they help. It's also very controversial, to be blunt, if these kids should be intubated early in life because they have a short period of time, and often in the first two weeks of life, where they have pretty severe apnea. And if they survive the first two weeks of life, they can go on to live into their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. At the same time, the glycine accumulation is continuing and they're having only worsening brain damage. So it is very important that this diagnosis is made early and that EDs think about this, NICUs think about this, pediatricians think about it so the diagnosis can be made, so that conversation can be had before a child's intubated. You want that information so that you know to be able to tell the family, if we intubate, when we extubate, they will likely survive. And they could have a very long life. Mm-hmm. And to make sure that that is the life that, that the family is expecting mm-hmm. and wants for their child. Okay. This would be a child that would go home with hospice or palliative care. So that would be the other thing. If a child comes back to the ED, mm-hmm. you'd want to specifically ask, you know, I know that your baby has glycine encephalopathy. Are there any things you don't want us to do? Mm-hmm. Are there any interventions you don't want us to do? Or are we good to do everything. So they might have some limited interventions depending on the family's decision. To be honest, this is this is a hard dis- diagnosis for everyone. This is a bad one. Oh, absolutely. Is that fair? When you get that yeah. prognosis information, you want to make sure that you honor the family's wishes. Right. And at the same time, if they want everything done, we want to be aggressive. But we just, this is a case where in the trauma bay, I'm glad when I can be called because let me be in the back of the room checking with the family are you okay with us doing everything? Do you see what's going on? Do you, are you good on all of this? Mm-hmm. So that the trauma team can be doing what they're doing. So this is a great situation where we have a second health care provider who knows what this is, mm-hmm. keeping the family updated with what history. the family wants done and what they don't want done. I love these families going with hospice mm-hmm. because that way everything's documented really well. So even if the family wants everything done, these kids can be on dual care. Mm-hmm. So they can be in a hospice palliative care group, plus have everything done which is we can do for any pediatric patient, but we're very aggressive at doing that for NKH kids to make sure the family knows and the family gets what they want. Non-ketotic hyperglycemia is also known as glycine encephalopathy. In this disorder, glycine builds up in the central nervous system and causes severe seizures. You should think about it in any neonate presenting in status epilepticus. It's diagnosed by looking at the CSF glycine and the peripheral glycine and calculating a ratio. Obviously, you're not doing this. A neurogeneticist is doing this. This disorder causes severe apnea in the first two weeks of life, and intubation during that period is a big conversation about the family's goals and wishes. On every presentation, Dr. Regeer recommends taking a really good look at the palliative care or hospice documentation and thinking about the goals of care that the family prefers. She also recommends reaching out to their primary geneticist or neurologist. That's the depressing one. Do we have another one that's it not is, so depressing? Wow. Okay, so let's talk about organic acidemia disorders. Mm-hmm. Remember how I was saying the acid part of amino acids gets converted to something within the TCA cycle, sometimes called the Krebs cycle. I call it TCA because Krebs asked for it not to be named after him because he was a good guy. So I call it oh. TCA cycle. So there's multiple pathways. So there's groups of amino acids that use one pathway to do the conversion. One of those pathways is for valine, ornithine, methionine, isoleucine, and threonine. It spells vomit. Those kids most often come in, guess what they're doing? Vomiting. 
And two of the steps in that pathway are methylmalonic acid and propionic acid. So if we have kids that come in with MMA or PA, it's because they have a block at one of those steps. So they have the double hit. So the first hit is their acidotic because there's an acid that builds up. Actually, they got a triple hit I just thought of. The second hit is they can't turn V-O-M-I-T into energy. And the third hit is that MMA and PA do something evil. They block the first step in the urea cycle. Remember, that's that cycle that converts ammonia to urea. So if they can't do that, they also have ammonia accumulation. So now I've got an acidic kid who at baseline loves to vomit, who now has a high ammonia level, and by the way, is energy deficient. This is a fun one, right? So what are we going to do? Normal saline at one and a half times maintenance. That's right. And I could even give them intralipids if they need more calories. I could at least consider it. Often what they need is fluid. And that helps to dilute just everything. It's the fluid that's the biggest hit for them. They also sometimes will need something called an ammonia scavenger. So it's a medication that converts ammonia to something else. So their ammonia levels are less. So aminol is one of them, sodium phenylbutyrate, Revicti, Bufenol. So those are some of the other names you might hear for it. So so there's one form that's IV, the others are oral forms. So depending on how much they're vomiting depends on what we give them. Is that fair? Yeah. So that's your MMA and your PA. Okay. So kids with methylmalonic acidemia and propionic acidemia have three issues. Issue number one. They can't turn vomit amino acids, so valine, ornithine, methionine, isoleucine, and threonine into energy because they have a block in the pathway either after methylmalonic acid is created or after propionic acid is created. Number two, they're at risk of pretty severe metabolic acidosis because of these organic acids that tend to build up. And number three, Methylmalonic acid and propionic acid can both directly inhibit the first step in the urea cycle. This means that in periods of crisis, these kids might not be able to com- convert ammonia into urea and pee it out. This leads to ammonia buildup. As we know, ammonia is a floor cleaner. It's directly neurotoxic and it puts your kids at risk for cerebral edema. When these kids come in, after you call it genetics, consider a STAT, BMP, and VBG to check their acid-base status, as well as a free-flowing ammonia level. They'll likely need aggressive fluid resuscitation, including D10 normal at one and a half maintenance to get them out of any catabolic state. Depending on their degree of hyperaminemia, they sometimes also need an ammonia scavenger, like sodium phenylbutyrate if they're able to tolerate PO, or aminol in life-threatening situations when they're not able to tolerate oral medications. There's another pathway I always want to talk about. And in that pathway, it converts lysine breakdown products. So the organic acid of lysine gets converted to go into the um, TCA cycle. And you build up something called glutaric acid. So the disorder's name is GA1, so glutaric aciduria type 1. Unlike PA and MMA, where it builds up in the periphery and causes vomiting and causes acidosis, this one loves to build up in the brain. And when it builds up in the brain, it can cause two different types of strokes. It can cause bridging vein strokes because it can cause brain swelling and contraction that causes the bridging veins to shear. And it can also cause what we call metabolic strokes, where a part of the brain doesn't have as many calories as it should have. So that's a metabolic stroke. It's just when one part of the brain doesn't have the energy it needs. 
So those kids, in, when they present, it's usually between six months and six years. And you might remember, it's the same age as febrile seizures, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I always remember GA1 is the same time as febrile seizures. And they present with strokes. 80% of kids with GA1 are at risk for strokes. And we're talking a stroke that leads to sequelae 80% of the time. When we started doing research and understanding the mechanism, we realized if we give them IV fluids, guess what we give them? D10, normal saline. Because we want a GIR of about seven. Yeah, yeah that's where <laughs> it came from. Yeah. Um, if we did that when they were ill, plus give them, get this, carnitine. Oh, flashbacks to carnitine. <laughs> Remember, carnitine takes any old carbon chain. It's yes. promiscuous. It'll take a carbon chain and either take it to the mitochondria or make it water-soluble so you can pee it out. So we're going to pee out glutaric acid and decrease the total glutaric acid in these kids. So by fluids and carnitine, I can acutely manage a child who's stroking. It doesn't fix what already happened, but it seems to decrease the severity of the strokes. Also, we put these kids on carnitine at home all the time, and that seems to be how we get from an 80% chance of stroke to 30% chance. So I always say, that still means a third of my patients with GA1 have a massive stroke at some point in their life, but it's not 80%, so I'll take it. So when these kids come in with new seizures, not being responsive, all of those things, and I hear, I'm like, I need to, you need to get them carnitine now. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that might help. Obviously, we're starting IV fluids and getting them carnitine rapidly. So again, this is that dose of carnitine I want ASAP. Mm-hmm. And these are kids that we actually need a fast MRI if we can get it. Because in metabolic stroke, you can't see on CT scan. You can see the bleeding stroke and you see the brain swelling, but you can't see the metabolic stroke, which is kind of swollen and stressed brain. So these kids, we try to get a fast MRI. So that's GA1. We have a lot of GA1 kids around here. That's why we want to make sure you know this. So you can imagine if they can't keep their carnitine down because they're home vomiting, guess what they get to do? They come right in. They love to come in hang out with us. Yeah. In glutaric aciduria type 1, otherwise known as GA1, lysine, which typically gets broken down into byproducts including glutaric acid before it gets fed into the TCA cycle, can't be broken down beyond the glutaric acid step. Glutaric acid builds up in the brain and can cause two types of strokes. In the first type of stroke, cerebral edema leads to shearing and infarction of the bridging veins, and so it's a bridging vein stroke. In the second type of stroke, one of the parts of the brain doesn't get the energy it needs and causes neuron damage in that way. This is called a metabolic stroke. You won't be able to visualize metabolic strokes on CT scans acutely, and so you'll need to get a fast MRI instead. Glutaric aciduria type 1 presents at the peak febrile seizure age between 6 months and 6 years. It's treated by carnitine because carnitine helps transport glutaric acid so that it can be metabolized into something water-soluble that is then peed out. By giving chronic carnitine, you can decrease the risk of stroke from 80% to 30%. For acute presentations, you want to put them on D10 normal at 1.5 maintenance and consider IV carnitine when you talk to genetics. Because you'll only be able to see metabolic strokes on MRI, consider a fast MRI instead of a CT scan. So I have identical twins who have GA1. So if one comes in, guess what I do for the other one? Where is she? Give her some more carnitine. (laughs) She gets a gram of carnitine every time her sister gets admitted. It's kind of funny. (laughs) 
Do you guys know the main side effects of carnitine while we're talking about it? There's two of them. Mm. They're exciting. Um, oh, oh. Carnitine one to one PO to IV conversion. You need to be careful in a dehydrated You're patient. You're the best. Because you, you don't that. want the carnitine to crystallize in in the kidney and cause an AKI, which is I is something I've encountered clinically once before and was very worried about and read a lot about. But that's not. So what what yes, else are the better side? But that is very exciting that you knew that. I'm impressed with you. It is a one to one conversion. The, the two actually common side effects, not a single case report side effects, mm-hmm. would be they smell like fish. Oh. Because carnitine is from fish. So you get this odd fishy smell to them. So I always tell families, well, we're going to treat until they smell. And the family will call me and say, hey, they're smelling. I'm like, okay, we're at the right dose. Let's back off. It's last dose. Good. It can also cause loose stools. So if I'm already having severe diarrhea or very loose stool, I might back down on the carnitine dose. You can check your free and total carnitine level. It takes anywhere from two days to a week to come back, depending on where you're at in the country. And you can, you know, figure out your real dose that way. But I figure if you don't smell bad and you don't have loose stools, I'm probably okay until I get that carnitine dose back. Mm-hmm. So you'll, you'll titrate up until you see side effects and then you sort of know that you And then I back off. Okay. Yeah. Especially if I have, you know, the twin running around the community while the other one is having a stroke. She's getting a gram of carnitine. I don't care if she smells bad. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? <laughs> Go have some carnitine. Mm-hmm. The other disorders, so we talked about MMA, PA, and GA1. Those are mm-hmm. the three organic acidemias that I think you should know about. There's, like, there's to be honest, there's a lot of other. There's isovaleric acidemia. There's mm-hmm. lots of other forms. But I think if you understand those three forms... Yeah treat the others very similar to those. Really, the mainstay of all of those is carnitine, because carnitine is going to bind to any carbon that accumulates. So all those carbon accumulations can be made water-soluble and be excreted through the urine if I give carnitine. So that's why often we'll say, hey, give that carnitine dose for us, even in the ED. feels weird to be giving carnitine in emergency, but that's why. Just remember, <laughs> you don't give carnitine uh-huh. to fatty acid oxidation disorders unless you know they should have it. You can't overdose them with carnitine. Mm, okay. Because it makes everything get to the mitochondria too fast and you can stress them out. And you may you may you move can, toxic products to the mitochondria. Right. That, that, you, that, that would fatty acid oxidation disorders, there. not you, you, carefully. Organic acidemias, we're going to all say yes to it. Okay. Okay. So carnitine has two main side effects. It can give patients sort of like a fishy odor, and it can give patients diarrhea. In organic acidemias, like MMA, PA, and GA1, carnitine is generally a safe bet. It can help make the organic acids water-soluble so that patients can pee them out. In fatty acid oxidation disorders, however, like LCHAD and MCAD, Carnitine can be super dangerous because it'll transport all fatty acid chains to the mitochondria, and some of them will be toxic. Should we talk about another pathway? Actually, I'm going to put a pin in the episode here just to review what we've learned so far. We will have one final episode that talks about urea cycle disorders and more coming out next week. In this episode, we talked about five main disorders. Acute hepatorenal tyrosinemia, non-ketotic hyperglycinemia, and then the three organic acidemias that we need to know about. Methylmalonic acidemia, propionic acidemia, and glutaric aciduria type 1. To review, acute hepatorenal tyrosinemia is when succinyl acetone accumulates, it causes liver destruction and liver failure. 
This usually presents as a coagulopathy early in life. You treat it with PO-only NTBC and a low tyrosine formula, and these kids should do relatively well. In non-ketotic hyperglycinemia, also known as glycine encephalopathy, these kids present with severe seizures and apnea from CNS glycine buildup in the first two weeks of life, and unfortunately, there is no treatment. In non-ketotic hyperglycinemia or glycine encephalopathy, the family's goals of care are the most important thing here. You want to get the palliative care team and hospice team involved so that they can share their resources and partner with the family early on. In methylmalonic acidemia and propionic acidemia, a block in the vomit pathway that breaks down organic acids either after methylmalonic acid or after propionic acid is created is the big problem. So you're going to get a buildup of one of these compounds. These kids often present with a severe metabolic acidosis. Because methylmalonic acid and propionic acid also happen to inhibit the first step in the urea cycle, these kids are also at risk of hyperaminemia. After you call genetics, consider a BMP and a VBG to check their acid-base status, as well as a free-flowing ammonia level, and treat them with D10 normal saline at one and a half maintenance, plus whatever aggressive fluid resuscitation they need. They also might need an ammonia scavenger, depending on how inhibited their urea cycle has been. Okay, last but not least here, we've got glutaric aciduria type 1, or GA1. These kids can't break down lysine completely, and glutaric acid just starts to build up. This puts kids at risk for both bridging vein strokes and metabolic strokes, but chronic administration of carnitine can reduce the overall risk of stroke from 80% to 30%. For acute presentations, start D10 normal at 1.5 maintenance, do a full neurologic assessment, and consider IV carnitine when you call genetics. Okay, so thank you again for joining us today. Don't forget your three big organic acidemias, methylmalonic acidemia, propionic acidemia, and glutaric aciduria type 1. In organic acidemias, carnitine is generally a safe bet. But this is in stark contrast to fatty acid oxidation disorders like MCAT and LCHAD, where you don't want to flood the mitochondria with fats that it maybe can't break down by giving a bunch of carnitine. Be sure to listen next week when we do one final episode and we tackle maybe the most important category of metabolic disorders, urea cycle disorders. Thanks again for listening. 